righty, here we go. It's Thursday, which means another brand new edition of Bet Parks Presents Stick to Hockey Live. Jason Bertitas, Anthony DeMarco from the fourth period.com going to join us in just a moment. We've got a ton to talk about in this episode, but let me tell you first and foremost about the all new Bet Parks app. Now, I was on the app last night. I did eight tons radio show yesterday on the gambler, and I gave him a four leg parlay last night. Here's what it was I gave him Carolina to win game two and take the 2 nothing series lead against the Bruins at minus 120. I gave him Tampa on the road to bounce back at plus 112. I gave him the Wild in game two to even that series at minus buck 37. And I gave him Edmonton in a 60-minute three-way line at minus 130. All four hit at plus 1,089. Those are the four plays I gave on the program yesterday. And boom, plus 1,089 was the four-leg parlay, and it hit. It's a good night. That's a good night on the Bet Parks app. So take it from me. Check out the new Bet Parks app. To combine all those things is simple. It's so easy to do. It's easy to sign up. It's easy to use. It's easy to figure out how to do that right there on the bet slip. You can bet those individually. You can combine them. You can do whatever you want. I also had McDavid to score first, which I didn't put out on his show, but I didn't cash that. Dreisaitl did. But it's faster to win than ever before. So check out the new Bet Parks app. You're going to love it. Um, right now, all Bet Parks users, new and existing, use the promo code Jason750, and you're going to get a $750 risk free bet. Again, new and existing users put in Jason750 and in the, the promo code and get it, take advantage of that up to $750 risk free bet. Terms and conditions do apply. So, Check that out. You will not regret it. Tone's Takes is coming up today. Tone will join us coming up in just a little while. Give his plays as the uh, playoffs are underway. So make sure you download the all-new Bet Parks app right now and check it out. Get acclimated. Get in on the fun. Hoops playoffs, hockey playoffs, and much more. You do need to be over 21 and in, in present in Pennsylvania or New Jersey. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Again, Tone Takes coming up uh, in about 30 minutes, a little bit more than that. And uh, we'll get his plays as well. But joining us right now from the fourthperiod.com, you uh, he joins us every Thursday. Does a great job from north of the border. It's Anthony DeMarco on Bet Parks Presents Stick to Hockey Live. What's going on, Ant? Not much, buddy. Uh, been enjoying some playoffs, man. It's nice to watch meaningful hockey for the first time in a few months. Eh? <laughs> oh, my goodness. It's been awesome. Like from the Ranger Pittsburgh game with Louis Domingue coming in after hot pork and broccoli. Yeah. Overtime. That's the first time that's ever happened. A goalie that has not played in regulation come in in an overtime and gotten a win in the Stanley Cup playoffs. What a scenario. Yeah, he like didn't play the first like 60 or more than that, 89 minutes or something and still managed yeah. to make 17 saves. But uh, yeah, that was a hell of a game, man. And it, it goes to show that I think that a lot of people underestimated the Penguins coming in. You know, the Rangers go in with arguably the best goaltender in the NHL, arguably a Hart Trophy candidate favorite. And there you have the Penguins going with their second string and then their third string. And they still absolutely obliterate the Rangers in terms of like expected goals and all that. And they deservedly won that game. Uh, like the yeah. Penguins are just a team. And I know Charlie O'Connor always says it when people try and doubt the Penguins. He always comes back with the great line of, show me the body and it seems like time and time again they continue to prove everyone wrong no body no crime 
that's it. <laughs> that's what it is. Like I, I kind of subscribe to the Jim Boomer Gordon line of thinking that eventually the credit card bill comes due for a yeah. team like the Penguins, but they've dodged the bill collectors for years and years and years. And, you know, in that game, I mean, it's insane when you look at the fact that Igor Shosturkin makes 79 saves in a loss. Yeah. That's, that's, in, that's stunning to me. But that's kind of been like the tale of the story, right? For mm-hmm. the Rangers all this year. Like, I know they improved at the trade deadline when they made the addition, specifically Andrew Kopp. But I don't think they were as good as their record showed. And I think the number one reason is their center depth is not all that much to write home about. Mm-hmm. And they were just a very good special teams uh, group, uh, specifically on the power play. But five on five, they leave something to be desired. And I think we saw that in the first game against Peng- the Penguins. I think the Penguins had like over eight expected goals for, which yeah. is absolutely absurd, obviously. When you play almost two games in one night, that will obviously drive up the total expected goals and all the the high danger chances, specifically from a team like the Penguins. But, uh, you know, I, I actually predicted the Penguins in six. So I'm looking pretty good right now. But certainly that was uh, not the, the favorite going in, I would say, for most people. I, I still like the Rangers in the series. We'll see if Jari comes back for game three. Um, and if he and what he's going to be when he comes back, I think is a big part of it. But. You know, I mean, the Penguins full value, 25 to 8. They outshoot the Rangers in the second period. Yeah. I mean, that's that, that's a Penguins franchise record for shots in a period in a playoff game as well. I mean, that's absurd numbers. But um, Shesterkin, I mean, the game should have never went to overtime because I don't think that was goalie interference on the capital yeah. play. Yeah, it's so questionable right nowadays. Like, it's there's such a gray area now between goalie interference that I don't even attempt to try and figure it out anymore. Like, yeah. it's almost as if they're the goalposts change depending on what ref you get nowadays. Yeah. So, honestly, like, I just steer clear of that. Like, we saw a goalie interference play last night with Boston and the rain and, and the Hurricanes, rather. And originally, they had it five minutes and it got yeah. reduced to a two minute major, uh, minor, rather. And look, like, was that goalie interference on Pasternak? Probably, but at the same time, like, he puts his arm up because he's trying to brace for a, a fall there. And it wasn't like he was so far out of the crease that Ranta that is. So, I don't know. It's very uh, unclear. There's a lot of gray areas, and I don't even attempt to try and understand it anymore. Yeah, the one with, with Pasternak and Ranta, like, that's incidental contact to me. Pasternak's not a guy that does that kind of shit. Yeah, And it's a shame because, I mean, now, you know, Carolina is down to their third as well. I mean, Alex Lyon, I imagine, is going to get the call up to be the backup now uh, from the checkers. And so we'll see how that plays out. But um, just crazy developments that they still find a way to win games because that's that's what Carolina is. I played them last night as well. So we'll, we'll see how that goes. And then last night, you know, some good games on the card last night. Uh, the Leafs get back to square or or the – Lightning get back to square against the Leafs, but there was a little bit of a scare in this game. I mean, they were five to one, and they only hang on and win five three. Yeah, the Leafs are pushing, and it's been some capitalizing on shorthanded chances by the Maple Leafs. Like I think the Leafs are winning the special teams battle, although uh, the I think the Lightning scored three times on the power play last night. And this is a high octane series, a lot of firepower and a lot of feistiness. You know, the yeah. Leafs go in with Kyle Clifford and Wayne Simmons in. 
game one, Clifford gets suspended. Simmons takes two undisciplined penalties last night. A lot of the narrative has been surrounding their respective fourth lines. Obviously, Corey Perry doing his best to antagonize. Pat Maroon taking some, I would say, uh, Pat Maroon-like penalties in the early going. But when you have teams with this much toughness simultaneously with that much skill, you're going to get an entertaining series. And, you know, it seems like there's been a lot of blowouts, at least in game one. But then in game two, we think we're going to see a blow and the, the Leafs make it interesting again. Another shorthanded goal by this time it was Alex Kerfoot off of a brilliant play by TJ Brody. But uh, this Brody. It was insane. TJ Brody won the most underrated defenseman in the NHL, along with Chris Tanev, who was just absolutely brilliant out in Calgary. Two guys I really wanted uh, the Flyers to pick up in uh, the 2020 offseason to kind of replace Matt Niskanen. But that's water under the bridge now. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's um, that series has lived up to the hype. That and Minnesota and St. Louis for sure. Yeah, I mean, and Marner again last night, a goal and an apple as well. So he's off to a good start. Matthews is on the board in game one. So, you know, that kind of takes them out of the pressure cooker a little bit too. You worried about Florida at all? You know what? I picked Florida to win in seven. And mm-hmm. among the TFP guys, I was the only one who predicted to go that long. Most were in five. I believe one or two were in four. And I'm not as high on Florida as the rest of you know people because one, the goalie scares the hell out of me. Now that's not to say that they're, you, they're completely hitched to Sergei Bobrovsky. They can always switch to Spencer Knight if need be. But I also was skeptical on how they would handle playoff hockey against a big, tough team like Washington. And that's a veteran team that have gone deep before. They've won a cup before. LaViolette, one of the more experienced coaches in the NHL, up against a rookie coach and Andrew Brunette. And look, I still do think the Panthers will come out with the victory just because I'm not sold on Washington's goaltending either, and I don't think Florida tested Vanacek nearly as much as they should have, but I don't think it's going to be a walk in the park like many thought. Uh, I have this going seven, and I'm standing by that right now. Yeah. The one thing that scares me a little bit is that, you know, you look at it, and the way Florida plays is not traditionally a way to win playoff hockey. That's the thing. You know, the trading chance nature that they go with and go, okay, well, I'll score you isn't something that really has worked uh, in the Stanley Cup playoffs. So that's my only concern there, but we'll see how that plays out. Um, but let, let's get to, you know, I was listening to Freeds this morning, Elite Friedman on NHL Network Radio. does his Thursday hit uh, with uh, Scotty Lachlan and Gord Stellick. And he brought up this same notion yet again. Now I've heard him, I think, on 32 Thoughts, in two successive episodes, and also this morning, talk about Bruce Boudreaux and what's going on out there with Jim Rutherford and the Canucks. And, you know, that they're not going to come to an extension because he didn't coach a full season out in Vancouver. That's kind of Rutherford's rub here, I guess. In other words, they haven't come to an agreement. And they have basically till the end of May to decide if they want to dance together into the future or if they wanted to part ways on either side. And what the one thing that Fridge keeps mentioning is that I wonder if Chuck Fletcher will ask to t- seek permission to talk to Bruce Boudreaux, because those two obviously have a history together. He hired him in many and, you know, the Flyers are looking for a coach. And there was some conjecture that Vancouver hired him in short order 
as the Flyers were getting their ass handed to them against Tampa that night, seven to one, when they <laughs> fired AV the next morning, that they were going to try and hire him that night. So is Bruce Boudreaux now in play as a potential coaching candidate for the Flyers? I think absolutely. Like, obviously, I they have so to. I mean, they have the ties going back to Minnesota. And look, <clears throat> Bruce Boudreaux is a coach that I think is polarizing for a lot of people. Obviously, came out of the gate really hot when he joined Washington. I believe he came there in 0809 season. Yeah, he and was they the interim won. coach and got him to the playoffs. Exactly. Just kind of came out of left field, took them to this the President's Trophy. I believe it was 0910 when they won the President's Trophy. Yeah. Then they got bounced in seven games by the Montreal Canadiens, one of the bigger upsets. Although Yaro the Montreal lock. That's it by himself, basically. <laughs> I believe that's when Boudreaux said he was having nightmares about Yaro Halak. And yep. I remember living here in Montreal. That's when they came out with the stop sign with Halak in the middle. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I think that on a side note, Montreal just seems like they're always the team that causes the biggest upsets historically, mm-hmm. at least since the 05 lockout. But Boudreaux, you know, he's had a successful coaching career over the last 15 years or so. Like, obviously, his early years in Washington goes to Anaheim, could never really get them over the hump. But it felt like there was like every year Anaheim finished at the top of the old Pacific Division or then the, um, yeah, still this the the current Pacific Division went to a couple Eastern uh, Western Conference finals, then goes to Mini. Felt like by the time he got to Mini, things were kind of like changing there. And he kind of got there maybe a year or two too late. But I, I believe it, it may have been Russ Cohen, if I'm not mistaken, or oh. someone else on that po- hockey uh, buzzcast or whatever it's called, that said that playing for Bruce Boudreaux is like playing for your grandfather. And I found that absolutely hilarious. And I think that that style of coaching may be what the Flyers need. But on the other hand, maybe they also need a veteran. I'm of the belief that they need a veteran coach in here. I know that some people have like floated names like Montgomery, possibly David Quinn, you know, newer school guys like that. I'm not opposed against that, but I just think that this group, how fragile they are, trying to get it back on the rails here, ideally to get back in the playoffs. I think having a veteran coach, but also who's good with younger players, may be the best course of action. And Boudreaux seems to fit that bill. Well, he fits the bill with something else that Chuck Fletcher said too. Chuck Fletcher said, we need to be a team that possesses the puck more. And what do Bruce Boudreaux teams do? They own the puck, right? And all his teams have a common denominator. They score. (laughs) They just do. What do the Flyers struggle at most? Score. Playing in the offensive zone and creating good chances. They just, they seemed like they had to work so hard to get a good scoring chance. So few chances off the rush. Boudreau teams don't suffer from that. Now, yeah. Flyers need to add some talent to really take advantage of what Bruce does. But the, the notion, too, is that, well, Boudreau, yeah, good regular season coats, but doesn't do anything in the playoffs because he had those Capitals teams that won presidents trophies but didn't go far and kept getting bounced by the penguins but he did get to a conference final in anaheim let's not act like he didn't do that yeah and those weren't tremendous anaheim teams like let's be real they to me that era of the ducks always kind of felt like pretenders and he was a guy who really pushed the right buttons there that you know the the later years of perry there ryan gets and all that but 
I think he's a good coach. Do I think that he's going to come in here and be the final piece to the puzzle, like a closer, kind of like what you expected out of AV when they hired him three years ago, or Laviolette back in 2009, 2010? Of course not. But I think they need a coach here to really help develop some young players. And you're absolutely right. They possess the puck. And that's why when I heard Chuck say that, I kind of rethought Paul Maurice because I don't think Mm -hmm. Paul Maurice in Winnipeg was a guy who possessed the puck you know by a lot of underlying metrics the Jets weren't a good team they were a team that relied on elite level goaltending and how dangerous their forwards were off the rush and making the most out of limited chances and is that the type of roster the Flyers have here I mean maybe the goalie but that's a lot to, to ask of Carter Hart to get to hella buck of last year's level And they certainly don't have the firepower that the Winnipeg Jets do. So, But then again, Maurice, I think, is a coach that could adapt. And then you look at a guy like John Tortorella. Are they a puck possession team, typically, under Tortorella? So, I mean, I wouldn't be opposed to Tortorella. I wouldn't be opposed to Paul Maurice. But based on what Fletcher has brought up, it seems like Bruce Boudreaux would almost be the ideal guy here. Yeah, and it's and not only from like we just talked about the hockey element of you know system and style of play and puck management, but also from personality. Uh, is it like like you said, Russ said on on the Buzzcast? It's like playing for your grandfather. You never want to disappoint your grandfather. <laughs> That's <laughs> you know? it. And Gabby's like one of the great personalities in hockey too. Like he's a he's a goofy guy and a yeah. lovable figure. Uh, everybody loves them. So, uh, I mean, the only the only way I could see, you know, another team that could get in the mix that could jump in front of the Flyers, two teams actually. One would be if Vegas moved on from Pete DeBoer, which I don't think they're doing because, you know, he wants to win a cup. And obviously you look with Eichel there and Stone and a healthy Vegas team, uh, then maybe you can make the case that that's a really good opportunity. And then the other one would be if the Leafs failed again and Dubas got fired and, and Sheldon Keefe was relieved, and he would take that Toronto job because that's the dream job. For yeah, yeah. He's a, he's a Toronto guy. He's an open Maple yep. Leafs fan. Yep. And I think there were talks uh, last offseason or this offseason prior that that would be the only team that he would consider being an assistant coach for. Yeah, that was last offseason. No, okay, it was last offseason. Yeah. So, look, I, I think that they're going to hang on to Sheldon Keefe, but, like, I, I think that if the Flyers want him – assuming he doesn't stick around in Vancouver, they can get him easily. And I think that might be more attractive than, let's say, pursuing a guy like Paul Maurice, because I think Paul Maurice will be at the top of the list of many candidates, or for I, many teams, rather. I agree. Like I, he, I think he's on a lot of lists. Paul Maurice, to me, I, I think just the fact of how long he stuck around in Winnipeg, in a world, or a hockey world, rather, where the shelf life of the average coach is what three and a half seasons and even that nowadays seems long and you look at a team like the flyers where they're going to have beyond a what coach number seven since 2013 and you know i brought this up earlier today on brotherly pod where there's a strong correlation between long tenured coaches and successful teams like how long has sullivan been with pittsburgh how long has casting been with boston How long has Cooper been with Tampa? Like all these teams have long-standing coaches. You can't just keep turning it over and turning it over and turning it over. And that's not to say that, you know, Mike Yo or AV or Scott Gordon were, you know, God's gift to coaching. 
but I still do think that from an optics standpoint and from an outsider's perspective, and, you know, I live up here in Canada completely out of the, the Philadelphia market. A lot of people talk about how bad it looks from an outside perspective that this team just can't seem to find a coach. And, you know, people used to call it the Goldie graveyard. Now it kind of seems like a coaching graveyard. Yeah, well, you're right. And, the goalie part of it is also one of the the elements. Show me uh, a good coach. I'll show you a good goalie. Yeah. You know, like look at all the coaches that tend to have tenure um, there. Guys like Barry Trotz, even though he wasn't in Washington that long, that's a very unique circumstance in Nashville forever had great goaltending going to be in New York for a long time. Has good goaltending. Part of that is his system, no doubt, but you look at the situations and teams that don't have goaltending. Look what's going on in Edmonton. Look what's going on in other places where, you know, Montreal's kind of the outlier because they've yeah. had price, but um, they've kind of churned through a few guys now as well. So how that kind of plays out, we'll see. But yeah, I mean, when you have, have that constant turnover of coaches and front office, it's not a good look from the outside. You know, you go from Holmgren to Hextall to Fletcher. I mean, that's three in less than a decade, in about a yeah. decade, right? And then, I mean, you know, the good franchises like Tampa, Iserman left on his own accord. And it's still it, kind of like the same regime, right? Yeah. I mean, it's Julian Brisbois who studied at his knee. Yeah. And so. it's the same scouting staff. His name escapes me. I forget what his name is, but a brilliant guy who runs their scouting department. And yeah. that's why, like, for so many people that are just like, you know, fire Fletcher, fire Fletcher, fire this guy. It's just like, Look, I'm not going to sit here and defend Chuck Fletcher. You know, the majority of his tenure here has been a disaster. But, like, do you know how much work it entails to gut a front office completely and then restart? And then you have to go with the coaches and then they have to evaluate the roster because, you know, the entire roster is not the one that they probably envision. Like, I've said it for a while here that, Fletcher has been kind of trying to make do with what his predecessor left him. And I just think that like, again, like trying to fire the another GM when you're still have non-sustainability behind the bench, it would just cause another wrinkle of things that you have to improve before you get to the actual on ice product. Yeah. Like they have to fix the, the roster. Now they have to fire a co- uh, fire. They already fired the coach. They, now they have to hire a coach. If they fired the GM, then they would have to hire another GM. And, you know, if Fletcher goes, that means Brent Flair goes. And then you have to fire another AGM. And I, I just don't think people realize how much work it entails and how much time and investments it, will, it would take to overhaul a front office in addition to a coaching staff. Because the new front office comes in, then they have to start from scratch to hire a coaching staff and yeah. a direction. There's a lot that goes into that. And look, one thing about Fletcher and Flair, that combo, they've drafted well. They haven't drafted the superstars here yet. They haven't been in position to do so. And we don't know on guys like Tyson Forster what he's going to be at the NHL level. We just don't know that yet. But you look at what he did in Minnesota and like most of that core – now, Billy Guerin coming in after Paul Fenton has done a good job of putting them in the position they're in. Yeah. But but you look at it. I mean, Spurgeon, you look at, obviously, Kaprizov. And a guy told me the other day on Twitter, he goes, uh, uh, Kaprizov was a no-brainer. I'm like, dude, he was <laughs> taken in the fifth round. <laughs> no and nobody brainer. had any brains for five rounds of that draft if he was a no-brainer. 
Yeah, that, that that entire team, like you saw what Erickson Eck did last night. Yeah, that was Fletcher Flair, Jared Spurgeon, like you mentioned, Matt yeah. Dumber, Jonas Brodeen, Jordan Greenway. These all are all Fletcher Flair guys. Like, yes, like along the way, you had Zuccarello signed. That was Paul Fenton. I believe Ryan Hartman was Paul Fenton as well. Mm-hmm. Then Bill Guerin comes in. He adds some good depth pieces at the deadline, like Jacob Middleton trades for Marc Andre Fleury. A few other names that are escaping me as well. Delorier. Delorier. And then they traded for Tyson Jost, I believe, at the deadline mm-hmm. as well. So look, Garen has done a good job of insulating that team of the pre-existing core that was assembled by Fletcher and Flair. And I think my biggest criticism of Chuck Fletcher has been his inability to put a team over the top. We yeah. saw that the 2020 trade deadline. That was a team that was rocking and rolling the hottest team in the NHL. And he goes out and gets Derek Grant and Nate Thompson. Like that to me was arguably his biggest mistake is how he handled that deadline. But in terms of drafting and developing good, solid NHL players that could lead a team, I don't think that there's any way that you could kind of criticize Chuck Fletcher and Brent Flair more specifically. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, one of the things that Chuck said in his availability and naturally hockey Twitter and Flyers Twitter grabbed onto this was that we're just sitting down now to begin the process and, figuring out what the ideal candidates look like. And we'll put that together. See, <laughs> I, I hear that. And I, and people are going, if he was fired in December, why are they just doing this now? I can assure everybody that is total and complete bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> They've been, this process started in January. Once they settled with Mike Yo and they said, okay, he's going to be our GM the rest of the year. Just GMs in sports coaches, they do not tell the truth. People go, why Why lie about it? Where's the upside? Well, first of all, you don't want to kind of piss on the guy's leg who is the interim. Exactly. He's been looking all along. You want to make it and, – and that guy knows it too. He's not an idiot, you know. They know it too, but they don't go out publicly and say, yeah, we've been looking since January while we said we were going to give Mike Yo a fair shake, you know, or Scott Gordon back in 1819. It just doesn't work like that. You know, Chuck said the same thing about the coaching search after the 1819 season and literally seven days after the season, five days after his availability, Elaine Vigno, Mike Tarion, and Mike Yo were hired as the next coaching staff. That didn't come together in five days. (laughs) (laughs) And and that, you know, you don't want to completely kick Mike Yo in the nuts on the way out. Right. Like the, and I truly, you know, Mike, like it, he was in an impossible situation. I felt so bad for him. And look, I've been very open that I've never thought much of Mike as a head coach in the NHL based on his time in mini and based on his time in St. Louis. But I've always really liked him, A, on a personal level. How can you not like the guy? Just super nice guy. And and secondly, I've always really liked him as an assistant coach. You know, if I'm not mistaken, he won a cup with the Penguins in 2009 as an assistant coach. So I think Mike Yo did a lot of positives for this team, specifically with the younger players. You know, one person within the organization kind of compared him like John Stevens to me and his approach with the younger players, helping bring guys along. Pardon me. That's a good, that's a good comparable, like from the head coach point too. like Stevens isn't really that the head coach, material but great assistant exactly you got it you know john stevens won two cups with los angeles got a chance as the head coach and was fired after what 15 months or so as the daryl head guy in, in la pardon me daryl comes in and wins a couple of cups 
Yeah, well, that's it. And now he's the assistant coach in Dallas, if I'm not mistaken. So, look, some guys are just more cut out to be assistant coaches. And I think Mike Yo falls in that kind of tier. And, look, there's nothing wrong with that. But at the same time, he was put in an, in an impossible way. You know, he never coached a game where Ryan Ellis played, ever. He never coached, uh, or I don't think he ever coached with Hayes and Katori in the lineup at the same time. I Certainly not at 100%. You know, by the time he took over, the season was already spiraling out of control. They accumulated some points right before Christmas. I believe they got they went like 4-0-3 or 5-0-2 where they got points in like six or seven straight or something like that. But this thing was already off the rails. We knew it was already off the rails. The guys didn't even have a stable coaching staff until February, for God's sakes. You know, John Torche didn't show up till what was it, after the All-Star break? Mm -hmm. You know, he had had Nick Schultz on the bench. Ian LaPerriere was there for a bit. You had three different guys coach the power play. It was a disaster. It was an yeah. unmitigated disaster behind the bench this year. And none of that falls at the feet. Of, well, maybe not all, none of it, but I don't think the majority of it falls at the feet of Chuck, uh, Mike Yo. That being said, when the record doesn't get better at all, and you can make the case, and I think statistically it actually is was worse under Yo than it was under it was. AV. Yeah. And again, not his fault. No Ellis, no Katori. We get that. And everything was snowballing by that point. How can you sell it from an optic standpoint? Can't. And if I'm not mistaken, when Fletcher and Dave Scott had their media availability back in the winter, I'm pretty sure Dave Scott said as much that they were getting a new coach back then. Like he kind of let it slip that they were going to get a new coach. So I'm completely in agreement with you that like if people really think that Fletcher is only now starting to assemble a profile for a coach. Like, come on, (laughs) let's be real. You do you lend any, do you even consider investigating through the league office and other channels, Joel Quenville? I wouldn't. um, I, 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 it's like, look um, for one, he turned you down three years ago. That's the first thing. Cause he wanted to fish more. That's it. So that's that to me, I don't think would sit entirely right with them. But secondly, it's like this team has to do so much repairing in terms of PR, not nearly on the level of what happened in Chicago. Let's make that clear. But in terms of reinstilling goodwill with the fan base, just trying to look better in the public, make them seem like they care and going out and hiring a guy like Joel Quenville, who is, who was a part of arguably the biggest scandal in the history of the NHL. I just can't see how that would be a good look for the Flyers. The last thing this team needs is more negative attention. And you have to know that a, you get negative attention and B not like this matters, but you would probably make yourselves the biggest villain in the entire NHL. Yeah. And right now, catch yourself to the Kyle beach story when you don't have to. And you know what? It's one thing if you're a successful team. Like, it's one thing if you have, like, the Tampa Bay Lightning trying to do something like this. But kind of like with the Carolina Hurricanes when they brought in Tony D'Angelo, you know, they you could kind of mask it around. Like, oh, well, we're going to work with them, help them you know, become a better person, good winning environment, blah, 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 blah. But with the Flyers, I just don't see how they're in a position to do anything of this of the sort. And you can also look at Carolina and go, 
Rod Brindamore is not going to let the same kind of shit that happened in New York with Tony D'Angelo and Georgiev and all that stuff. And not, it's not going to fly with Rod Brindamore. That's it. And you feel like, okay, we've had a coach that's so strong-willed and so structured and so respected that there, if anything starts to get out of line, it'll either be put back in line or it'll be sayonara to Tony yeah. D'Angelo. And it guy, seems by all accounts it has been that way. Dude's been an animal this year. And have you heard anything, any issues coming out of Carolina in regards to Tony D'Angelo? On the broadcast last night, I don't know if I think it was Ray Ferraro. Maybe he just said it jokingly, but he said that he's been a model citizen. Yeah. But when you have a coach like Rod Brindamore and a strong fallout, that's it. And, And it was kind of the same principle and not to say that he's overcome these demons because we saw it this year. But it was kind of like when Evander Kane went to the San Jose Sharks. Mm -hmm. And they had that group of veterans and Joe Thornton and Joe Pavelski and Patrick Marlowe that they kept him in check. Now, as soon as that group burns Vlasic, Justin Braun back then, but as soon as all those guys started to fizzle out, Pavelski left, Thornton left, Marlowe left 15 times and came back. Justin Braun left, Brendan Dillon left. You started to see those bad habits reemerge. And I think that you need strong character rooms for guys like that. And, you know, when it's you're dealing with a coach in the case of Quenville, not to say that it's apples to apples, it isn't. But I just don't see the Flyers being an organization willing to take on that type of attention, to put it lightly right now. Yeah. And look, he's a great coach. There's no doubt about it. But uh, I'm not doing it either. There would have to be so much that I would have to learn about his testimony, about every element of that, that for me to even consider it. And who knows if the league is even going to reinstate him, you know, at this point, because we don't know what some of that testimony, we have very little uh, insight into everything that he testified to or that he knew. So, I mean, the fact that he wrote the letter for Aldrich after the situation, and then he went on to USA hockey is a real big issue for me. So, very big. Yeah, I mean, and that that kind of shit just cannot happen. So um, I, I stay away from it. I think there's other good options out there. And he's not like he's the only good option out there from a coaching perspective. So we'll see. I have one to throw at you actually quickly. This isn't me saying that I would like this, but what about Mike Babcock? Yeah, you know, <laughs> because it not, no, because it blocks Marner from coming. <laughs> but. Yeah, I don't know that this team could handle Mike Babcock. You yeah. know, I don't know if it's the right kind of group for Mike Babcock. Now he's going to obviously be different because he's going to have learned some things, and he's coached. You know, he coached in Saskatchewan last year at university, and uh, I know his name was tied to the Michigan State gig at one point. I think yeah. as well, he didn't get hired for it. But does he want back into the NHL? He's a great coach, no doubt. But yeah, I don't know that I need to go there either. You know, I think there's when you look at some of the veteran guys, if I'm going veteran guy, there's some there's some good names out there. And then I I also look at like Rob Brindamore and I go, you got to find like that guy, you know, guys that played pretty pretty recently. The players have a lot of respect for. I don't think the days of a of a Ken Hitchcock where you can be that physically out of shape or is ever going to fly anymore for for players. 
it's tough, right? Because like you put yourself as a player who works his ass off as hard as let's say a Mikhail Sergachev or just any of these guys. Yeah. And then you have this, you know, 350 pound guy wheel in with Dunkin' Donuts for breakfast and yeah. just barking orders and pulling, you know, you know, do all these suicides and then get in the gym. And I, I think but that at least like Bruce played, like Bruce is dumpy looking now, right? But Bruce played. <laughs> But he's also almost 70. It's a bit different. But, you know, Hitch, like, it wasn't like he was uh, a a pinnacle of being in shape back in, you know, his 40s or ever. That's it. Eight months old. (laughs) (laughs) Claude Claude Julien, same thing. Like, I mean, look, I think that there is something to be said about having a guy who kind of holds himself to the same caliber or the same level as he demands of his players yeah i agree and i think that maybe bringing in a guy like that's why i think like maurice would kind of be a good coach just from like a personality perspective because maurice to me seems like a guy who could get through to any type of player you could get through to a veteran you could get through to a rookie you could get through to a guy that's struggling and you see the guys in winnipeg they swore by him they absolutely love that guy. And look, that's not to say that it's a popularity contest by any stretch, but I still think that there is something to be said of like, yes, there is, you need a good coach who's good with X and O's, but you also need a guy who can get through to this team, especially a group as fragile as the Flyers, which is why I'm in total agreement with you that I think Mike Babcock is not the answer. Yeah. Uh, we'll see what happens over the next calendar weekend. We'll do this again next Thursday. Check out Ant stuff at the fourth period.com. And uh, what's the Twitter handle? Demarco 25 You got it, buddy. Demarco 25 And thanks for doing this. We'll talk next week. Easy, man. There he is. Anthony DeMarco joining us on Bet Parks Presents Stick to Hockey Live. It is Thursday. Oh, it's playoff season. And we're doing a little something right now that we call Tones Takes. There he is. There's Tone. What's going on, brother? Hey, Jason. How you doing? I'm doing great, man. The playoffs have been insane already. I mean, we get our we get our first crack at game twos tonight. Yep. And I mean, I don't know, we've had a crack already at game twos. You know, Carolina went up two nothing. But I mean, fantastic card again tonight. Yeah, great storylines too with all these goalies getting hurt. It keeps, oh it keeps happening with the Louis Domingue in the uh, in the overtime game, and then Ransom went down last night. Like it's in the Eastern Conference, it's, you know, it's crazy with these goalies getting injured. So, yeah, and even in we'll Nashville, see. you know, Saros out too. So, yeah, well, we'll see if Nashville's not going to be able to overcome it. I don't think they could overcome it with Saros, but because I mean, Colorado's just insane. But you look, can Carolina continue to overcome it? Can the Penguins overcome it tonight in Pittsburgh? I, I wanted to run you at my four-leg parlay that I gave out on Aton's show yesterday. I gave him Carolina minus 120. I gave him Tampa Bay plus 112. I gave him Minnesota to bounce back at minus 137. And I had a six, a three-way, not, no push, Euler line at minus 130 regulation. Plus 1,089. And we beautiful boom cash that beautiful. I love it. I love it. That's awesome, man. Yeah, I was on the bolts too, and I was on, I was on Carolina minus one. A little bit of a little bit of value there. A lot of people yeah. were uh, 
ready to count Tampa Bay out after one game. But I mean, you and me know what the history is with Toronto, and I think yep. we I, we'll probably agree on how that series is going to end. So we'll see. <laughs> the other thing too is, you know, I looked at last night. I'm watching. I I like. I loved Edmonton in the game. I'm like, Mike Smith really screwed up in game one. They're going to bounce back in game two. But I'm watching the first, you know, first period and almost midway through the second, and LA's all over them. Yeah, yeah, buzzing. Yeah. They just couldn't yeah. break through, and then Drysaddle scores, and and Edmonton ends up filling it up and getting a six nothing win. Yeah, I went Edmonton in the first period minus a half. I think it was a plus one forty, and you know yeah. they had the two two penalties, which kind of killed that. And of course, they score like a minute into the second period, which always yeah. happens. But you no, know, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's get the tones takes for uh, May fifth, Cinco de Mayo, and we're going to start out with play number one. You're going to that Nashville, Colorado game. Colorado was just an absolute wagon in game one. Nashville couldn't get much going, but you like the over seven here at plus money. Yeah, I'm going to go with the alternate line over seven plus 130. I uh, should expect a little bit more out of Nashville tonight uh, with their goalie situation, too. I mean, I, they're not going to be able to stop Colorado. So there's going to be plenty of goals, I think, in this game and in this series. Uh, bet the overs why you can because the series isn't going to last too long. So, yeah, um, yeah I think uh, should a little bit more out of Nashville tonight to kind of contribute to that. But, you know, at seven, 100% with the plus 130, I'll take it. They go on Riddich again? I from what I've seen so far, it's uh, Ingram is likely, so we'll see yeah, what happens. I would go either, with Ingram. Either way, too. I would too. Yeah, you know, Riddich can't get it done with Ingram, right? You don't know that he can. You don't know that he can't. Yeah, and who knows? Maybe it gives the team a little bit of a jump. We've seen that happen plenty of times. So. Totally. So yeah, I would definitely go with him. Uh, let's go to play number two. Let's go to this Calgary Dallas matchup. I like in this series. I mean, I like Calgary in no more than five, uh, but you like the under in this one. And also going an alternate line here again, huge plus money at 170. Yeah, I'm going to stick with the under five, um, you know, possibly risk of pushing this game. But Daryl Sutter playoffs, when we saw it in the Kings years, there was a lot of low scoring, grinded out games. Calgary's a lower scoring team at home. Dallas only averaged 2.5 goals per game on the road. Um, I'm going to I'm going to go with the under here at five. If it pushes, it pushes, but at plus 170. Um, I think it's a good deal of value. We may see some goals in this series when it sh- ships over to Dallas. Um, that's what I'm kind of thinking, but you know, I'm going to stick with the under here. All right, so you got the under there, under five at plus 172 alternate lines to start us off. Let's go to play number three, and this is a shot on goal total here, and you like the over. Florida looking to get this series evened up at one, minus 120 over two and a half shots on goal for Huberto. He's a monster at home. Yeah. 32 out of 42 games, he's hit this at home. Uh, 17 playoff games, he averages 4.05 shots per game. Jeez. Florida's trailing in the series. They are going to be all over the Capitals, and it's going to start with uh, with Hoover Doe. So at minus 120, I'm kind of surprised it's priced this way, but you got to take it. I've been riding this guy all year long at home. Yeah, I like this one a lot, too. I think Florida is full value tonight. About mm-hmm. to get that series tied up. I, I really don't think they like that first the way they came out in that first game, they just looked a little shaky at points. And right. uh, the, the play that Mackenzie Weir makes is inexcusable. But anyway, mm-hmm. um, let's go to uh, your play number four and final play. It's also another over on shots on goal. This time, though, from a blue liner at plus 130 for Roman Yossi. Yeah, over three and a half shots on goal. He had five in game one. Uh, as we talked about, Nashville's going to have to push, push this game. So, you know, I like to target – some of these props in the playoffs with teams that are trailing. 
Um, I was on Kaprizov last night, and he hit, hit his mark. Um, at plus 130, Rossi's been a, a good good uh, target on the road all season long. So, um, you know, guy's going to win the Norris Trophy this year. He's a monster season. He's going to, you know, be a, uh, uh, you know, starting Nationals offense tonight and all game long. So. The best player has got to lead the way, and I think you're right. He's going to be insanely aggressive tonight from an offensive standpoint, knowing they're trying to match incredibly high firepower on the other side. So right. your Dimers play, you got the Rangers minus one tonight, plus money there? Yeah, plus 107, Rangers minus one. Got to think that they're going to um, respond. It's still early enough in the series where you can kind of overcome a triple overtime loss. If it was later in the series, it might be a different story. Uh, if it's gonna on go the road, Pittsburgh. it's way more difficult. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. You know, Shesterkin's been a monster at home all year. I think they've only lost back-to-back home games twice all year long. So I'm uh, going to uh, go with the minus one, a little bit of plus money, and maybe again, that netter at the end or something. Yeah. The other thing, I mean, Shesterkin makes 79 saves in a loss. That's insane. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yep. Unbe- like, un- unbelievable saves that he makes look routine, too. I know. Yeah, he's a beast. Yeah, just an Fun to watch. Man. He's fun to watch. Oh. Yeah. All right. So here are the four plays. Nashville, Colorado, the over seven at plus 130. It's an alternate line, uh, an alternate line in the Dallas Calgary game under five at plus 170. Huberto over two and a half shots on goal, minus 120. And Yossi over three and a half shots on goal at plus 130. Where can people get your stuff, Tone? Uh, Tone's takes on Twitter and then also daily plays on dimers.com and oddstrecker.com. There we go. Another edition of Tone Stakes in the Books. Cash man. Good. Thanks for doing this. We'll, we'll talk next week. Thanks, Jason. Enjoy the night. There he is. Tones takes on another edition of Bet Parks presents Stick to Hockey Live. Great plays there. Enjoy the hockey tonight and get the plays in. Get them in on the all-new Bet Parks app. Oh, it's fantastic. The Bet Parks Casino and Sportsbook app. It is now live. And you got to take it from me. It is simply glorious. Awesome. Everything you want in a mobile casino and sportsbook, and it's right in the palm of your hand, right in your pocket. It travels. It's easy to sign up. It's easy to use. It's easy to navigate, fun to use, and faster to win than ever before. So make sure you download the all-new Bet Parks app because new and existing users, that's right, both, new and existing users can use the promo code JASON750, JASON750, and you're going to get a risk-free bet up to $750. Terms and conditions apply. So again, promo code JASON750, and you get that risk-free bet up to 750 bucks for new and existing users. Get around on those Tones takes as well. Download the New Bet Parks app today. You do need to be over 21 and present in Pennsylvania or New Jersey. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. All right. That's going to put a wrap on this week's edition of Bet Parks Presents Stick to Hockey Live. We'll be back Monday with a, the offseason for the Flyers continues. The playoffs continue and much more. Everybody, have a great day. Enjoy the hockey tonight. Have a great weekend. And we'll talk to you next week on Bet Parks Presents Stick to Hockey Live. Mm-hmm.